Ahoy, it's your boy. It's been about two years since we've connected. Um, not quite to the date. I think the last time we corresponded was at the end of August, two years ago. And the reason we stopped talking then is I was at a transitional period in my life. I had just transferred from community college to UC Berkeley. And um, I was I felt like everything in my life was changing at the time. I When I first returned to school, my major was psychology. And when I transferred to UC Berkeley, um, I was basically feeling like if I'm just going to be taking psychology classes for the next two years, I just don't see myself getting through it. I was already feeling a little burnout. And um, yeah, the idea of just like, you know, I, it was like kind of it was kind of like being halfway through a marathon and just feeling like uh, if something doesn't change, I just don't see myself completing the race. And so I kind of did this internal thing where I was like, well, you know, if it's good, if it's just going to feel like hard work for the next two years, it's just not going to be sustainable. But what if you were able to transition or at least, you know, as much as possible, make the work of school feel like things that you like to do in your free time? So, you know, if you know me, you know this about me, but if you are listening for the first time, I love mo uh, movies, I love literature, I love reading, I spend a lot of time reading. So I thought, well, if I could just like read books or read interesting things, then that would be a pretty easy way to spend my time. It doesn't mean I can delete all the things about school that suck, like writing papers or uh, showing up, <laughs> uh, going to class, but um, it would make it exponentially easier. So... Um, you know, it would have been very easy to just major in English or something like that. But I basically just went to the UC Berkeley website and looked at their list of courses. And rather than starting with the major, I just kind of looked at classes I wanted to take and saw what majors those applied to. And so, you know, um, it's not like going to the grocery store where you can just uh, sign up for what you want. But the, the major that seemed to have most, uh, you know, many of the most interesting classes was comparative literature. So, I decided I would probably major in comparative literature. However, when you major in comparative literature, well, first of all, I have two things to say. Now that I've actually completed all the requirements, I've literally taken all the classes that I need for my major comparative literature, I cannot tell you what comparative literature is. You know, the idea is that you take literatures from two different cultures and compare them, but I shit you not when I say, Every single comparative literature class that I took had no comparison taking place. You know, my capstone class in comparative literature was about uh, indigenous American literature. And that's all we read. We read uh, like two plays written by Native American authors and we read a novel. Um, we read, what is it called? Fool's Crow by James Walsh. And that's it. And I wrote a paper, a very good paper, I might add, on Fool's Crow. Now I ask you, where was the comparison taking place? I don't know. And that was the capstone class for my major. But the point of all this is to say, because the idea of comparative literature is that you compare literatures between cultures, um, and especially since I was coming in as, an, as a, um, you know, I had taken two years at community college, I was coming in as an upperclassman, I needed to be able to read in a foreign language. And if you know me, you know I've only had a semester of sign language. Um, so I was not prepared to do that. However, if you also know me, you know that I'm very much into Chinese philosophy. Um, there was a story I told a long time ago about stumbling on I Ching or the I Ching or the Book of Changes, as it's known, and having a very transformative experience with that, which set me on this course of, you know, basically just reading Chinese philosophy almost exclusively for the next few years. Um, but this was before I even thought about going to college. But when I was presented with the idea of needing to learn a foreign language, you know, it would have been very practical probably to learn something like Spanish or something like that here in the United States. Um, and frankly, a little bit easier. But I thought if I need to learn a language to gain access to a certain body of literature, the only thing I would even be remotely interested in learning um, would be Chinese, because then I would be able to read all these philosophical texts that I really enjoy in their original language. So I decided I would learn Chinese. <laughs> um, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I needed to be able to read in a foreign language very quickly. So, you know, the, the, the 
the rate that all of this happened was so quick, meaning I had already been accepted to Berkeley as a psychology major. And I believe I was already done with my last semester at community college. So basically I had the, the summer, you know, which is what, two to three months before I began at Berkeley. But I decided very quickly that I needed to change my major. And so um, I think from the decision of changing my major um, um, to realizing I needed to learn a foreign language or at least be able to read in a foreign language was a, a matter of like a week or two. And so I think within a couple of weeks from that decision being made, I enrolled in a year's worth of Mandarin classes through UC Berkeley over the summer. Um, they have, you know, the first two semesters of Mandarin. I don't know what they would call it, maybe 101 and 102. But I took, you know, basically a year's worth of Mandarin in the summer. Um, you know, so yeah, it was just bizarre from the, the day of deciding that I was going to change my major to um, needing, realizing I needed to learn a foreign language to then having at least the input of a year's worth of study, you know, was just a couple of months. And um, I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because I think the other thing I was trying to say is um, once I realized I was learning Mandarin, I, I started looking at things like, um, you know, there's a whole East Asian um, uh, studies department at UC Berkeley. I was also looking at those courses and there was, you know, just a, a constellation of classes that I thought I would really be interested in taking. So I also decided to double major in East Asian religion, thought and culture. Um, and so it's actually this semester that I'm taking uh, the last courses for that. So, um, yeah, so I don't know. I'm sure that was coming to some kind of great point, which um, is now lost on me. Um, but maybe just as a way to recap, you know, the last time we spoke, I was just starting at UC Berkeley. Um, I think I may have had like a week's worth of classes or something like that, maybe a week or two or something. Um, and so that was one big transition in my life. Um, I also ended a five-year relationship that I was in at the time, um, which if I'm being perfectly honest, it's been about two years. And, you know, they have this saying, <clears throat> or at least I've heard it said, that it takes you half the time of the relationship to get over it. And um, th that might be true. I also think you just don't really get over a relationship, whatever that means, by the way, but I don't think you get over a relationship until you're in another one. Um, you know, the, the, the joking way that people say is, you know, the best way to get over somebody is to get under somebody else. <laughs> but, um, you know, I... I guess I've, uh, I know this is getting kind of circuitous here, but I think there, I've had two kind of experiences that have kind of made me reflect on my relationship ending. Because if I'm being perfectly honest, you know, I was with this person for five years. Um, I was feeling kind of ambivalent about where we were headed for, you know, the last year and a half of it. And I mean, that was essentially, um, you know, I've been in therapy for a very long time. You know, that was my ambivalence about our relationship was kind of like the sole focus of our conversations for about a year and a half. And um, I think the last six months of our relationship, we also went to couples counseling ourselves to kind of uh, talk through, you know, where we were headed and kind of what the next steps would be if, uh, if there were going to be any next steps. And once that relationship ended, though, you know, despite us being together for five years, I was not really that broken up about it. Um, I think part of that was, you know, I was in a new chapter of my life with school, meaning my schedule is just absolutely packed. I was working full time and going to school full time. And um, I, frankly, I think I just didn't have a lot of time, you know, to kind of feel my feelings or, or to have a, a, an emotional response about things. So there were two experiences that I had that I think where I had some space and time away from my just like regular routine um, that were also like exceptional experiences and just kind of maybe reflect on, on kind of being single. The first one, actually both have to do with my language study, but the first one was uh, after my first year at UC Berkeley as a way to sort of expedite my language study, I went to the Middlebury Language School in Vermont, which is a very famous school that's known for its language immersion programs. And every summer, 
you know, they have various language schools from French to Mandarin to Japanese and, and all sorts of languages. But you basically go there for two months. You're cloistered with the same students who are learning the same language as you, as well as your instructor, instructors. You're living in dorms. This college is kind of in the middle of nowhere, so there's really no distractions or a lot of contact with like the outside world. And you basically live this language immersion environment that you're cloistered in. So, you know, we were dormed with all the Chinese students. We would eat lunch together. And although when you arrive, you can speak English for the first couple of days, um, I think by the end of that first weekend, they have the Institute, the language pledge, which is basically everybody commits to not speak English for the remainder of the summer for the, for the next two months. And, you know, that was, you know, that summer proved to be maybe the most acute period of study and like focused work that I've ever had in my life. You're living in isolation for two months in the middle of nowhere. You're only speaking Chinese. You're going to class about five hours a day from Monday through Friday. And then you have about eight, uh, six to eight hours of study a day. Where and, and so the vast majority of my memories of that time are just me kind of sitting in my room studying. And again, while I was very occupied, there was actually very few distractions. And so I had a lot of time to reflect. And I think the thing that really stood out to me about that experience, at least as it relates to the end of my relationship, was, you know, it was a very exceptional experience. And it was kind of a milestone, not just in my life, but in my personal development um, and certainly in my language development. And I have to admit, though, my time there, I felt relatively lonely. Um, and one of the things that I just kind of kept coming back to in my mind is like, wow, I'm really having this really cool, unique experience. And the thing that I'm kind of, you know, saddened by at the same time, as cool as all this is, there, there was a kind of a sadness that accompanied it, it as well, because I didn't really have anyone to share it with. You know, of course, I spoke with my, my friends or I gave them a call on the weekends or I would give my family a call. But I didn't have someone like my past girlfriend, you know, to share that experience with. One, maybe it's just to have encouragement. But, you know, I also think there's a way in which when cool things happen to us, it's, it's hard for them to feel real or to be validated unless, you know, it's shared with somebody else, even if that person's at a distance. So, you know, there was a period of reflection of thinking, wow, I have this space and time now to kind of reflect on this and just really starting to wonder not did I make a mistake necessarily, although that thought certainly entered the arena of my thinking, but just, you know, I remember the last relationship I ended was a very brief relationship. It was about six months, but I remember that being a very sad period in my life afterwards, even though I did a lot of dating afterwards and it, you know, there was a lot of great experiences that happened over, you know, the, the year and a half or whatever until my, I, I met my next partner it was just a very sad time. And I think the thing that I was sort of bracing myself for when I ended my last relationship was I thought I was entering another very sad period. And I think the thing that I was surprised about and I would talk about in therapy a lot is like, I felt like kind of a dick for not being more sad about the breakup. I think part of maybe why I didn't feel so sad was I had been talking about it in therapy for a year and a half. I had been kind of bracing myself or preparing myself for this for, for the possibility of this happening. So, you know, it, it wasn't like it came to me as a shock. And I also think after talking about it for so long in therapy and through couples therapy, I think I was probably feeling, although the end of any relationship is sad, um, and even talking about it now, you know, I think about, you know, my last partner, you know, there's a lot of things I miss about that person. So ending my relationship with them was very sad. And, uh, but I wasn't like broken up about it. Um, and that was very strange for a while for the, for the first year while I was in school, not having that kind of mourning period for lack of a better word was like just a little strange. So, you know, having this time away, I was feeling kind of sad about it. And, you know, so there is some exploring, you know, there, or I should say there was some exploring of that. Like, is this regret? Is this feeling like I made a mistake? Um, at the end of the day though, I think it was just finally having some time and space to feel sad about the breakup and uh, also having a, you know, a meaningful event in my life and really having to feel 
very clearly that I was kind of on my own. And um, um, so, yeah, so that was hard. I think, and and, and uh, I guess f- f- uh, sort of fast forwarding to this sort of most recent event that happened that was very similar in some ways. I spent the last two months, I just got back Thursday, which is just a couple of days ago. I got back from Taiwan for two months. Um, one of the people that I was at Middlebury with, who's since become a good friend of mine, you know, we, we would connect every week and just sort of speak Mandarin with each other to kind of keep our language study up. Because last year I didn't have any Mandarin classes. I've, I've fulfilled my requirements at UC Berkeley. I did take a year of classical Chinese um, which is very different. If you want to learn about it, you can Google it. I, we don't need to get into it now. But I was not speaking modern Mandarin. So uh, we would still connect for an hour each week and just sort of speak Mandarin as much as we wanted to or could tolerate to try to keep our language study up. Um, uh, so he told me just sort of in conversation at one point that he applied for what was what's called the CLS scholarship or the CLS program through the U.S. State Department, which basically is a scholarship that's very competitive. It's awarded to uh, students uh, who are studying a language to have an immersion experience in the host country where that language is spoken. So I just sort of applied to it without really even thinking about it and got it. And, and honestly, it wasn't until I was about to go that I realized how competitive it was and, uh, you know, what a great opportunity this was going to be for me. Um, so yeah, I just, I, so I, I'm just back from spending two months in Taiwan Um and that was also a period, the first couple of weeks as well, where I was realizing, well, I'm having this phenomenal experience overseas. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I don't have someone in my life to share it with. And um, while I was having the time of my life, in some ways, I admit that one of the things that I would come back to in my private moments or when I was kind of, kind of going to bed or maybe even reflecting on all the experiences I had at the end of the day was wow, I like don't have someone to share this with. So, um, you know, in a way that was kind of a catalyst for I think what's really been at the front of my mind for the last, you know, maybe month or so. You know, part of that, uh, um, uh, you'll have to try to connect some dots here because I feel my mind starting to jump around. But since breaking up with my girlfriend, I have done no dating, absolutely none. I hadn't been on a date in two years. But while I was in Taiwan, and, and, and by the way, I've like had the dating apps, you know, I think within you know, four or five months of, of ending my relationship, I had like downloaded, you know, Tinder and Bumble and uh, all the dating apps and stuff. Um, but, you know, I would connect with people, maybe have a couple conversations, but I just never met up with anybody. And actually, I have to admit, one of the things that I was kind of struggling with as well is I also had to kind of realize that when I started dating my partner, I was in my like early 30s. You know, I'm, I just turned 38 uh, in, in July, last July, so like a month ago or a month and a half ago. And I'm also realizing I'm in a, I'm in a very different like, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in a very different uh, generational uh, sort of chapter of my life than I was when I was, uh, when the, since the last time I was single. So I admit I was a little disappointed that I wasn't getting more attention <laughs> on some of these dating apps. Um, and so I was just kind of realizing like, oh, as I get older, my real estate or my uh, currency on the dating market is not as, uh, it's depreciated a little bit. Um, and just kind of thinking like, how am I going to connect with people? You know, the, the ways that I've sort of done it in the past don't seem to be as fruitful, yada, yada, yada. The point is, is that as I'm sort of mulling these things over in Taiwan, I'm also finding that while I have the apps on in Taiwan, I'm getting a fair amount of attention. So I would kind of, you know, exchange messages with some people. But I decided uh, after connecting with this one individual, um, and I really enjoyed the quality of, you know, conversation that we were having. You know, if you've been on these dating apps, you know what it's like. It can be a lot of awkward small talk and asking people about, hey, uh, you know, how was your weekend or what's coming up for you? And, you know, it's very easy to just kind of get these kind of one word responses. By the way, if you connect with a real person at all, I think one of the most enduring frustrations about these apps is it's literally a minefield of, you know, either phishing scams or bots. And um, it can be very frustrating you know, to think that you're connecting with people or even to like 
engage in conversation hoping you're actually speaking with a real individual um, only after a couple exchanges or a couple volleys of the conversation to realize that um, one you're either conversing you, you've been conversing with a robot or you're conversing with someone who's just trying to scam you um, but conversely it's always nice when you connect with someone where you know I, I think of dating and conversations kind of like a like a like a like a I don't know like a tennis match or a volley of some kind like any anytime you're you're getting the the ball volleyed or going back and forth, you know. Although you want to win the game, really the most exciting part of the game is when the ball is sort of going back and forth for a long period of time. That's when you really get invested and things are exciting. So, I think that applies to dating, where you're really just trying to get a good conversation volley going. And, you know, I had connected with one person where that seemed to be happening. You know, we were both had creative interests and. You know, it's even just simple things where like you ask a question and they answer it thoughtfully and then ask you a thoughtful question and then you try to do the same. And so I was just really enjoying the quality of conversation. However, I admit, and maybe this sounds superficial, but uh, it just is the case. I have to admit that I was not over the moon about the photos that they had on their profile. I'm not saying that they were not attractive. Sorry, as I stifle a sneeze here. Chiu, um, excuse me. Um, not that they were ugly, just, you know, I just wasn't thrilled about it. Um, it was, but I was literally going into this uh, date, which I, if I didn't make that clear, we decided that we were going to meet up for a coffee. And, um, you know, although I was confident that I was not, you know, necess- I, I was kind of preparing myself like, okay, you may meet up with this person and, you know, the physical attraction may not be as strong as you had hoped, but I was very confident that the quality of conversation would be there, or at least I, I hoped, as, as, as confident as I could be that the, qual- the quality of the conversation would be good. And um, yeah, and also I'm in Taiwan. I'm here for like two months. Um, I had no expectations. I was just going to go in and just sort of see what happened. So we decided to meet at this uh, coffee shop that they recommended that they happened to know about. Uh, I bike over there and I show up first and I'm kind of sitting there. And it was actually, I had a funny encounter. And these types of, I had, I had thousands of these types of experiences just being like a white person in Taiwan. Uh, I obviously speak a little bit of Mandarin, so I was able to go in and let them know, like, oh, I'm meeting a friend. I'm just going to have a seat right here. And at one point she comes up to me and she's uh, in, in Mandarin. The, the girl who's working at the counter says, oh, your friend is here. And I said, that's very surprising because here I am sitting by the front door and uh, I haven't seen anyone come in. So she takes me into the back and points out another white dude who's just been sitting in the back on his computer thinking I somehow, one, that this is my friend because, of course, we're two white people. Of course, we're meeting up together. But also that I, I must have somehow missed him as I was sort of looking around. And so I very politely explained that uh, that was not my friend. I did not know that individual. And in fact, I would continue waiting by the door and wait for my uh, my date to arrive. So I'm kind of sitting there. And I'm doing that kind of funny thing. If you've ever kind of waited for a date to show up where every person who kind of walked by the front door, I'm kind of peeking and trying to assess. And, you know, sometimes you would see, you know, uh, another female and think, holy crap, I hope that's not my date. And then they would kind of walk by. Um, But I'm just kind of sitting there. And all of a sudden this lady walks up. And when I catch sight of them, I know immediately that it's her. And I also think, oh my God, she is absolutely beautiful. And so she comes in and I'm already kind of like struck and like over the moon about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, I, I sort of went in thinking this was not somebody that I was really attracted to and just thinking like, I, I just couldn't believe how much more attractive they were in person than their photos. So they sit across from me and then everything that you ever hoped or dreamed about in a date happened, which is I felt confident. We started talking. The moment we started speaking you know, we're both smiling and I'm making her laugh. And the more she's laughing, the more confident I feel about leaning in, being more enthusiastic about things that I'm talking about. Um, and also doing the same. And every time she's sort of talking, I'm just thinking like, oh my gosh, this is like so easy and so great. And she's smart and she's funny. And literally within the first minute of speaking with them, sitting across from her, I'm thinking, uh-oh, <laughs> this is completely unexpected but I was like I already know that I really like this person and so I mean long story short I don't maybe I, I don't I'm thinking about going into details about telling you about what this person does and all that sort of stuff but um, maybe that's less important than just saying you know I basically had 
the best date of my life. We're at this coffee shop. We basically close it out. We're speaking nonstop for like two hours. And um, she actually looks at me and says, uh, hey, well, this is, you want to go to the park next door? And I'm from America. It's like 11 o'clock at night now. And I'm thinking, you know, nobody goes to the park at night in America. And I'm like, is it safe? And the thing you have to know about Taiwan is that, you know, it's not crime free, but it is an especially safe city to live in for the most part. And so she's like, absolutely. And so we go over there and I immediately feel like a fool because although it's 11 o'clock at night, there are families with their children there and there's a skate park where people are skating and there's people exercising and couples strolling and it's uh, it's just very nice. So we end up walking around the park for like two hours and even sit on this bench and by this skate park that's there and just sort of have this conversation. And, you know, by the end of that time together, when I said goodbye to, I ended up walking them to the, um, the MRT station is like the subway, the Jieyuan or the MRT is like what they have in Taiwan in, uh, in Taipei where I was staying. And when I say goodbye to them, I literally left, you know, it was very, it was a very polite goodbye. There was no, uh, no kiss or anything like that, but I just felt like, Oh my God, like I had just won the lottery and, um, yeah, it was just both, it was just abundantly clear that both of us were just very unexpectedly happy with how things went. So, uh, needless to say, I was eager to see them again. And, uh, I, I, so our first date was on a Wednesday night and my birthday was actually on Saturday. So I maybe even messaged them on Friday and said, Hey, look, I really enjoyed our time the other night. Um, you know, my time here is, I, I don't have a lot of it. And uh, yeah, I would look forward to seeing you again soon. You know, if you'd like to get together tomorrow, I would look forward to that. Uh, she happened to remember it was my birthday. I forgot. I, I didn't. I'm not even sure I realized I had told her that that my birthday was coming up. But so we agreed to get together. And of course, going into the second date, I'm thinking, gosh, is it possible for lightning to strike twice? I mean, I just had the best date of my life. And so I, I admit I felt a little bit of pressure seeing like, are things going to kind of take off? the way that they did last time. So we ended up meeting in Taipei and um, going to a restaurant that she had sort of selected. And again, it was just, it was awesome. The conversation took off. I felt like everything I said made her laugh and everything she said made me think like, wow, she's great. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, it was kind of like having the, the, the wind at your back, you know, you can just kind of be yourself and it's all very easy or whatever. She ends up taking me to this uh, very cool kind of tiny boutique bar that I wouldn't, you know, you would never would have found, but for someone taking you there. And she had gotten me a birthday gift and it was just all very nice. And, um, you know, so yeah, I'm getting to the part that sucks. But at the end of that day, and I think we had spent maybe like four hours together. And I'm also thinking, you know, this is actually a little scary because I'm having two of the best dates of my life with somebody that, you know, I don't know, I'm not going to be here very long. So, you know, it, it was just, you know, yeah, it, there, there was just a lot of feelings sort of flying around. And um, when I said goodbye to them, you know, there was a couple of moments in our second night together where I, I thought, is she like waiting for me to kiss her? Um, and uh, I don't know about that. But when I said goodbye to her, I did, I thanked her for, you know, spending my birthday with me. And as we're saying goodbye in the train station, I give her a kiss. And it's not that she didn't kiss me back. Well, actually, no, maybe I should say it's not that she recoiled or didn't let me kiss her. But there was a way in which I felt like, oh, she's, I don't really feel like she's kissing me back. And so we sort of parted. And despite you know, every single minute of the date prior to that feeling exceptional, I admit I left with a little bit of uncertainty. I just, I wasn't quite sure what transpired. Like maybe I had moved too quickly or maybe I had misread the signals, but um, yeah, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't quite the crescendo I sort of felt that we were leading up to. And, you know, after our first date, I think within like 15 minutes of her getting home, she texted me and and did what I think is very, uh, generous and thoughtful of just saying, hey, I had a really good time and I look forward to seeing you again soon. It's just a nice way to sort of end the evening. And I didn't hear from her. And that was a little bit surprising. Um, 
And then I didn't hear from her for a couple of days. And so I sort of followed up with her. Um, one, I mean, you know, we've been connecting through this dating app. And uh, one of the things we talked about was exchanging numbers so that we're, you know, a little more connected. So I sent her my number and then like didn't hear back from her for a couple of days. And, um, you know, inevitably I got, I think, the type of message that everyone who's feeling very enthusiastic about the possibility of a new relationship or a new meeting kind of dreads. And to be fair, it's the kind of message that I should have expected given my circumstances as someone who's visiting a country and going to be leaving in about a month or a month and a half. But it was like a message basically saying, although I really enjoyed the time we spend together, you're going to be leaving and it's going to take me a while yet to know if I have feelings for you. So maybe we should just you know, if we're going to keep hanging out, maybe we should just hang out as friends. And, you know, I was, you know, I admit I was really devastated by that. Um, on the one hand, I think, you know, it, it, part of that was maybe this was the first date I had gone on since I ended my last relationship. But, um, I mean, regardless of how things have sort of panned out, I, I mean, this is the best, these are the two best dates I've ever been on in my life. And, you know, I, you know, I, I'm probably not the person who can be as, I, you know, I'm not very objective as far as this stuff goes, but, you know, I've had experiences in my life where I look back and I realize, oh, I just had no game, you know, I was over eager or I was just immature. Um, and I just, you know, I was kind of punching outside of my weight class or whatever the saying is. I, I, although I liked this person, I just, I didn't know I would have, what I was doing. I was kind of making a fool of myself. And so there's a way in which when I got that message, I was sort of transported back to these other encounters where I felt like I was just this kind of sycophantic um, kid having a crush on somebody who they were, you know, just, it was silly for them to even, it was just never going to work out. You know what I'm saying? Um. And I was like transported back to that place, which was which was which was very hard to be in briefly. But when I actually think about it, I think I feel like actually, you know, I'm an adult, and I feel like I read the situation pretty clearly. And you know, yeah, it, it was. I I I don't know what to say because I, even as I'm saying this, I feel like I'm just making this huge apology for myself, where I maybe don't need to make one. But it was just it was very disappointing. And so I really considered how I was going to respond. And, um, you know, I just said, yeah, I trust your judgment. If you're feeling like it's not the right time or, you know, whatever, then that's up to you. You know, I'm not really interested in hanging out as friends, frankly, but, you know, I'm here for the next X weeks. And if I had the chance to spend more time with you and get to know you better, then that would be uh, time well spent. So I'll I'll leave the ball in your court and, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me if you'd like to see me again soon. Bada bing, bada boom. And um, yeah, I mean, that felt pretty good. And, um, you know, I don't know, maybe you have some notes for me on that, but that felt like a respectable way to, uh, I don't know, maintain my dignity and not plead and just kind of be honest about how I was feeling uh, and what I wanted, but also uh, respect their wishes as well. And did not hear from them for a week and a half. And about a week and a half later, we had taken like this kind of school trip where we all the students went to this part of Taiwan where all the semiconductor factories are and we went to this technology museum and whatever. And as we were driving back, I had this very acute debate with myself. It was like, there were typhoons in the south of Taiwan. I had that weekend. I had had plans to go to Tainan, which is a city in the south of Taiwan, which had to be jettisoned because of the typhoon. And the program said they didn't want any of the students traveling to the south. So I was kind of like on the cusp of this weekend where I had like no plans. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And as we're driving back on the bus from the school excursion, I had this very acute debate with myself where I'm like well, you could message this girl and just kind of check in and see how they're doing. But I also thought, hey, look, man, she hasn't gotten back to you. This is a clear sign that she's not interested. You know, the old you would have just sort of like been this, like, you know, what do they, what do the kids call it now? Simping, you're simping, you're simping on this person. 
you would have been sycophantic and, and checked in with them when really you just need to maintain your dignity. Um, uh, you know, yeah, just read the signs, you know, she's not interested, just kind of move on with your life, like spend this weekend doing something else. But, and also I had, I mean, I admit when I, you know, the last time we had texted, I was really kind of affected by it for like a day or two. I mean, it was really disappointing. But some time had passed, and we'll get to this other part later, which is basically I did a lot of dating while I was in Taiwan. So, you know, in the same spirit of, you know, the best way to get over one person is get under somebody else. You know, I had kind of been doing that. So I thought, maintain your dignity, keep doing what you're doing, and don't message this person. But, you know, I also had this thing which a lot of people have in their life as well, which is I pulled out my phone, and I knew, I knew going into it I was going to regret it, but nonetheless, I texted them. And... I, you know, they are happen to be a creative and they were writing something that had a deadline. And so I used that as an excuse to reach out to them and just say, Hey, how is that thing going? We had, you know, um, a brief exchange about that. You know, they asked me about my plans and I said, well, you know, frankly, I was kind of hoping to see you this weekend. And then they came back, I think like 24 hours later with just a very disappointing, thing about, well, I'm a little busy with work, and although I have time, I feel like I need some time for myself, and, you know, the type of thing that I think if I were younger, I would have tried to pick apart and um, make sense of, but, um, yeah, clearly the message was that they were not interested, so, um, yeah, so I guess the spoiler alert is that I left that on red and just didn't didn't respond, and, um so, yeah, I mean, even as I'm sort of coming to the end of that exchange, I guess I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say, except, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's just weird that I had that experience because, yeah, it just really affected me. Anyway, I'm also feeling my mind go to this place, and, and maybe this will be a refresher for, for all of us listening, but I do have this. I don't even know what to call it, but I have this sort of phenomenon that happens when I, it's almost like I feel my mind coming to the cusp of some insight or some, I don't know, this, some idea that I, that like my psyche or my soul knows to be dangerous. And so my mind literally, literally starts to shut down as like a sort of protective measure. Like here I am coming to the end of that story and it's almost like I'm on the cusp of saying something, some insight, something meaningful about what that experience meant to me, and my mind starts shutting down. Like there's some protective software running in my brain, or I, I think it's actually deleterious, but I, I, it's, it's like trying to keep me locked in my confusion or something like that. Even as I'm talking about it, I'm not sure it's making sense. But one thing in these records that, you know, you no, if you listen to the other ones, is that, you know, sometimes I fall into silence because this is supposed to be a stream of consciousness thing. I don't prepare what I'm going to talk about. I just know that I have something on my mind. And so I sit down and I start recording and we just kind of go wherever we go. But I admit, um, I've enjoyed that the conversation's been flowing as well as it's ha as well as it has been, but it, it's just it's just funny to me, or it's meaningful to me that as I'm coming to the end of that story, which is one of the primary things that's been on my mind for the last, you know, month or so. Right as I'm on the cusp of saying something sort of summary or meaningful about it, I feel my mind starting to shut down. And who knows, maybe part of that is just, I'm still in the thick of it. And uh, maybe there's no conclusion to be drawn. Or maybe I still, you know, maybe I don't even know yet what's meaningful about it. But I think uh, I was talking about this because I was saying I hadn't dated in two years and all of a sudden I had my first date was with somebody that I was absolutely blown away by. Um, and you know, I, I don't know, for some reason I'm thinking back to that moment where we ended that first date and I had this sort of, you know, the kind of dream I, I, I had biked to our first date. So I ended up like biking back and I was like listening to music and I felt like I was on top of the world. And right after the meet cute of like the romantic comedy or whatever, like where everything was just going great. And um, I remember thinking very literally, I was like, oh, this is why I'm learning Mandarin. You know, this may sound tangential, but learning Mandarin has been cool. But the thing that I've really loved about learning Mandarin is the experiences that learning Mandarin has afforded me going 
to Vermont, well, one, being at UC Berkeley and studying something that I enjoy, going to Vermont and having that experience, but also like being in Taiwan and loving it. I mean, if you, the, the date was great, but you know, I was, before even meeting this person, I was, you know, looking for opportunities to return to Taiwan as soon as possible, other uh, language study stuff or school stuff or, uh, or hell, I mean, you can come back, you uh, an American can go to Taiwan for 90 days and just travel. So even if it was just to travel, I knew the first chance I had, I would be coming back to Taiwan. But, you know, the cusp of that wave of thinking was this date unexpectedly where I met someone who lived there and thought, holy shit, not only is this somebody that I really like, I, I really genuinely felt <laughs> after that first date, like in a cosmic kind of way, like, holy shit, like learning Mandarin has like brought me to Taiwan to meet this person. You know, I felt like I, I spent so much of my life or I spent a lot of my life kind of pursuing things that interest me, but I think are kind of confusing for other people because you know, when I was going to switch my major, I remember my brother being very mm, kind of reserved or kind of cautious or, 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 or encouraging me to be cautious about making that move because I think from his perspective, here I had invested two years in this trajectory of one course of study. And so I think it was just not clear to him why I was having this radical shift in my direction. And... um I, I, you know, I sort of bring a lot of my own, own insecurity to those conversations, but I think it's, it just is the case one, because it's been communicated to me, but I think there's a lot of people in my life who, although I don't agree with this, experience me as kind of a self-destructive person and, um, unable to kind of finish things, or they want me to do things that just make more sense in light of the decisions that they've made in their own life about what they want to do, which is, you know, going to college or getting a job or working on their career or whatever. And at the end of the day, I'm like more creative. I'm not very motivated by those things. Um, so to me, it makes perfect sense. Like, well, I'll just study comparative literature and uh, East Asian religion, thought and culture. And they're sort of thinking, well, like, how is that going to translate into a job? Uh, and not that those aren't important questions, but, you know, um, doing the thing that's going to make more sense in terms of answering those questions are actually not going to be very feasible for me. I'm not going to be able to do that. So I admit, even though I've really enjoyed what I'm studying and feel like I'm in exactly the place I should be, you know, I had, I've had so many magical moments over the last two years in my study thinking like, holy shit, I would not have read that book or I would not be thinking about these things or my mind would not be entering these arena, this arena of thinking, but for the fact that I changed my major. And even though other people thought that that was a bad idea, I had enough experiences where it felt like the cosmos was telling me like, yes, keep going. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I literally felt after that first date, I was like, oh, this is why. This is why I led on this course like to meet this person. And to have that kind of like blow up in my face was like just very hard. And I feel weird saying it now because I'm saying it into a microphone and other people are going to hear it. And But I haven't really shared this with anybody else. I had sort of told my brother and some other family members that I had like gone on a date and I told them that I liked this person and I told them that it went well. But, you know, what it really meant to me, I haven't really shared with anybody, um, especially the disappointment. You know, I sort of communicated, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not really talking with that person anymore, and yeah, that's disappointing. But what are you going to do? Is kind of what I've shared with other people. Um, you know, and of course, I mean, it did not like ruin my Taiwan experience. I mean, I had a, a great time, and I had plenty of other you know wonderful things that happened, which we might have a chance to talk about. But um, yeah, I admit, like, I'm still feeling a little kind of like not over that and a little confused and still kind of disappointed because, you know, what happened as a result of that disappointment was that I kind of knew that I needed to kind of uh, fill that gap with like other things. And one of them was actually to do a lot of dating. So all told in the two months that I was in Taiwan and really like a month and a half because I I didn't go on any dates and I, this last person I've been speaking about, I think we went on our first date like 
three and a half weeks into my time in Taiwan out of two months. So in a very short amount of time, about a month and a half, I went on nine dates with seven different women. And uh, I'm not sure if it's worth chronicling all of them, but you know, from not dating at all for two years to going on that many dates in like a month and a half, it was kind of surprising for me. Um, but also like kind of cool because here I was in Taiwan in a very new environment and having not just like a new experience, but also like in a different culture, you know, with um, people from a different culture. And so, you know, I think, you know, prior to my Taiwan experience, you know, I was very nervous about it. And I, I really consider myself, where I go about telling myself that I'm kind of a creature of habit and kind of shy and reserved. But from the minute I landed in Taiwan, I was really happy with how I was spending my time and how I was navigating things. I mean, every single day, while other students were kind of like hanging out at the dorms or like, you know, kind of like, I, I, I thought kind of wasting their time. Every single day I did a new activity where I would like visit some site in Taipei or go to this temple or go to that cultural center or go to that park or, um, you know, we had a couple of weekends where we could travel. I traveled by myself to Hualien, which is a city on the uh, east coast of Taiwan by myself for uh, a couple nights and went hiking and just like did all this like cool stuff. And um, yeah, it was just a wonderful trip. Um, I was also really happy to see myself, one, with that first date, just kind of being willing to meet up with someone. It was awesome that it was a, a great date, but also to keep pursuing people and like having the courage to like meet up with strangers and just kind of see what happened and uh, just be available for those experiences. So that was very cool. I kind of liked who I felt it was very easy for me to be in Taiwan. And I remember one time kind of speaking with my, my classmates and I, I just sort of extemporaneously sort of said it, but I realized it was, it was, it was a nice summary of how I was actually feeling, which is, you know, it's not like I feel like I can be a different person in Taiwan, but I do feel there's something about my time here in Taiwan where I'm able to, it really brings out things about myself that I really like, which I'm still not clear why, but I feel are less accessible in the States and when I'm in my routine. And that is, I'm very courageous. You know, I can do unexpected things. I can, you know, I remember one morning just not having any plans and just deciding I was going to go to this town called Shifun, which is, you know, you take an hour um, bus and then you get on a train. And I didn't know that. I just had heard about this place. And so I just set out within 20 minutes of deciding that I was going to go and just went there and just had this day long excursion where I like took a bus and then a train to this small town on like the Northeast coast of Taiwan and just sort of tramped around and saw the sights and then like made the excursion back to Taipei and you know, like I was just up for those things. Whereas like today, you know, I don't, there's this big music festival happening in the city and I have a ticket to go and I don't think I'm going to go. <laughs> like I, for some reason I'm back in this place, which is where I feel like I always am, which is like, I want to be home and I want to be kind of like alone. And, you know, that's fine um uh, if i'm not judgmental about that i think that's that is one way to live your life and sometimes that feels like the right thing to do but i admit there's some sadness that attends that meaning once i was in taiwan and i was going out and doing things all the time and like was going on all these dates and feeling regardless of how they went and they all went fine but feeling very confident about myself and feeling like i'm just going to show up and be available and whatever happens happens you know i wasn't going to take responsibility for the dates I just felt like I was like, I don't know. I feel like Tony Robbins or somebody would say like, you were in your power, man. But I felt like I was in my fucking power. And, um, you know, um, yeah, that, that's just been a very good place for me to be. And I remember as I was talking about this with classmates saying, yeah, Taiwan brings these elements out in me that I, I guess I always have, but for whatever reason, you know, just don't feel less accessible when I'm sort of at home and for whatever reason, the way my life is right now, they're less accessible. And, um, 
yeah, again, I'm not sure what point I'm coming to with that, um, except uh, to just follow my thoughts and say, you know, I've been back for Thursday, Friday, three full days, three and a half days now. And like I said, I have these tickets to this music festival and here I am at home thinking like, I don't think I'm going to go. Like, I think I'm just going to stay home and like watch a movie. And I don't know what that's about, you know, because here I am sitting thinking like it's one of my favorite bands who's playing. The only reason I even bought the ticket was to see this band. And I'm thinking like, well, you know, if you really sort of just crunch the numbers from where I'm living in Berkeley, all I have to do is take BART into the city, which is about a 30 minute ride. I hop on a bus to the park where the music festival is happening, which I, I don't know how long of a drive that is with the traffic, but maybe it's an hour, maybe it's 45 minutes. My commute every day to school in Taiwan when I was living near Taipei 101, I was going to, uh, the school I was at, it was in Danshui, which is like just north of Taipei, was an hour and a half each way. And that was nothing. And yet, now that I'm home, the idea of like commuting into the city for something that I want to do, to see a band that I like, feels much more difficult. And, you know, I guess to connect the dots, as I was saying with my friends is, you know, I feel like I am capable of being the person that I seem to be in Taiwan, of being that person back at home, but I'm scared that when I go back, that I'm going to fall back into my routine. And I'm a little sad that I see myself doing that. And yeah. So not really sure what to say about that. I mean, because on the one hand, I think the solution is, well, you just go to the music festival. But, you know, the desire to do that just feels very far away and... I don't know. I mean, the good news is, is I have therapy tomorrow, which is the first therapy I've had in two months. And I'm looking to get some, I'm looking forward to getting some feedback on this. And, um, you know, admittedly, it's nice to talk about it here, but in the same way where I was talking about when you're in a relationship, it's hard for your experience to, experiences to be validated when they're not shared with somebody. I mean, that's one of the main reasons I think therapy is so important because even though we talk about our lives with our friends or our family or they know we're in Taiwan and at least superficially, we can keep them posted on the things that are going on in our life and even share maybe even a lot of our emotional world with them. It just is the case that there are emotional components to our lives, which we just don't feel comfortable talking about with other people. And, in, and, and, and actually, those are the most important parts in some ways. And so the, the value of therapy is having somebody that you can share those feelings with, get the feedback on, have your feelings validated, and kind of get some feedback on like the most crucial parts of your life. And as I'm saying this, someone is starting to hammer outside my place, which is a little annoying. So uh, you might not be able to hear it, but I'll try to work through my distraction. But the point is, is that... Um, um, you know, I'm looking forward to having that experience where I can sort of talk about this stuff with another individual, not just a microphone, and get someone's feedback and maybe input on it. Because, you know, I had this incredible experience over the last two months, which in some ways feels kind of life transforming. And yet, I'm three days back from the experience, and I, it feels so far away, you know? And I think this is characteristic of a lot of experiences I have in my life, which is, you know, it doesn't matter what successes I've had or what experiences I've had. It's like once a chapter of my life closes, it's like it never happened. You know, when I ended my five-year relationship with my last partner, there is still a sense in which I, it's hard for me to believe that it actually happened. Um, you know, my career in music. Um, I had... I, it, <laughs> I had this uh, at Middlebury as well, but, you know, I ended up sharing with one of my classmates who happened to be rooming with me at a hotel. Our first week in Taiwan, we were all uh, in a, a, a hotel. And I had, I was sharing a room with one individual who was a musician. And I ended up sharing with them that, yeah, actually prior to going to school, 
I was a professional musician, at least for a little while. I, that's what I did exclusively. And um, I happened to have had a lot of uh, success of a kind on streaming platforms and online with my music so that when people end up looking me up and seeing the numbers that I have, they're usually very impressed. So he ended up seeing that and, um, all right, I, you know, I felt comfortable sharing that with him and, um, you know, he's very impressed and, uh, it, this is not a bad thing to do, but ends up sharing it with other classmates. And so I had this experience of people coming up to me and saying, Hey, I listened to your music. Like, wow, like that's really good. I didn't know whatever, whatever. But the point is, is I'm seeing people have a reaction to this chapter of my life where this accomplishment, this creative accomplishment that I've had that for me is in the rearview mirror. And so it's like, it, it, it's like it never happened. Whereas for them, they're like really excited by it. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm just trying to say that there's, you know, there's a way in which I'm a little disappointed now that I'm back that I feel intellectually, I know that this is not true, but I feel you know, I feel that cycle kind of repeating itself where I've had this great experience. I know it was life altering in a lot of ways. And yet I feel now that it's over that it didn't happen. And, you know, I can't pretend that we're going to get to the bottom of that uh, in the course of this conversation, but it's just something that I'm noting and that I need to continue thinking about. And I'm sure will be, uh, yeah, the focus of my conversation with my therapist tomorrow. But yes, as I'm sort of seeing our time and realizing that we're going to have to wrap up here in a little bit, um, yeah, I'm just thinking, what's what's the next step for me? I admit uh, I've sort of spent a lot of time over the last couple of days looking at opportunities to return to Taiwan. Uh, one of those is applying for a Fulbright scholarship to go to graduate school. Um, although that would be a Mandarin taught program, which would be, you know, I mean, for someone who's only been learning a language for two years, that seems insane. But it's a completely underwritten, and you know, my last summer in Taiwan was completely underwritten by the State Department. Um, they gave me a per diem and they paid for my flight and housing and everything. So the idea of being able to live in Taiwan for free for two years would be awesome, especially if I'm not working. Um. And also, I'm planning on going back in February. So I'm uh, I'm already applied to another language school to go back for three months in February after the new year to be in Taiwan. I will have graduated by that point. So yes, a lot to unpack there. But suffice it to say, uh, it was a transformative summer. I had a lot of meaningful experiences. And yet, now that it's over, you know, the, this prophecy of sliding back into my routine feels like it's starting to be fulfilled and... Lo and behold, I'm on the cusp of deciding what I'm going to do with my day, which is do I go to the music festival and have the experience, good or bad, or do I do the routine thing and just kind of stay home and kind of do nothing and watch a movie or something like that? And yeah, I guess I just feel a little conflicted because maybe as a listener, you think, well, of course you go to the music festival. But sometimes I wonder if there's a kind of Jedi perspective of like not doing those things as well, which is... Sometimes you just want to stay home and relax and not do the thing. And the, the, th the, or the thing that you have on your schedule that's supposed to be a vacation is actually its own kind of stress and its own kind of work. And like the real Jedi perspective is like saying no to that thing and just letting yourself like be lazy. So I'm not quite sure. Um, maybe we can bookmark that and I can decide the next time I fire up the microphone, I can sort of let you know what I did. But of course, if you've listened to these other records, you know that we just talk about what we're going to talk about. Sometimes I come in thinking I'm going to talk about one thing and we end up talking about something completely different. So, um, yeah, not quite sure how to wrap up this, but obviously it's been a long time. And, um, yeah, today I was just kind of thinking through all these things and thinking, well, one productive way to, um, yeah, to sort of think through these things is just talk about them into the microphone so um yeah thank you for listening um i forget how i end these usually but i guess um yeah thanks for listening thanks for your time and ciao for now <laughs>